Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Union Chapel. So glad you're here. I'm Greg Paris. We're thrilled that you've chosen to join us this morning. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday on the Christian calendar. It marks the beginning of the season of Lent. It's a season of contemplation, consideration of the passion of Jesus, culminating, of course, with the resurrection on Easter Sunday. So Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday are the 40 weekdays between those dates. Ash Wednesdays so described because it reminds us that from the dirt we have come and from the dirt we shall return. It reminds us of our humanity and how fragile we are as human beings. And perhaps uh, that was uh, tragically and poignantly illustrated by another shooting in a school in Parkland, Florida on Ash Wednesday. We continue to pray for the families and friends of those victims and that devastation. Very, very challenging times. We might uh, just note that this is the 25th school shooting since Columbine. 25 times this has happened now in, in our schools. And it's a very difficult challenge, very complicated. And so we should pray for everyone involved. Um, we might say also that it reminds us that at, very, at the very least, we could agree that we need God's help. We need a move of God in our culture. We need a move of God in, in the United States. Would you agree? And we know that historically, one of the ways the church always has responded in the face of crises and challenge like this is to pray. And so I would submit that nothing is more important nor poignant than our emphasis over these next 40 days on the subject of prayer. We trust that God will actually use us not only to sow seeds of renewal in our own hearts and in our church and community, but that we will be actively engaged then in sowing seeds for a great awakening in our larger culture. And so this is what we're up to, and this is why we're engaging this particular subject right now. We've chosen as our text this morning from Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. I'm going to read the first four verses there. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that text, or we will project the words on the screen. Today, I want to talk about a beginner's guide to prayer. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so as you're able, thank you for doing that. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John, this is John Baptist, John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. May God inspire his word today and encourage us through it. You may be seated. Thanks so much. You know, the, the subject of prayer is a bit daunting. You look up Amazon.com, there are currently 136,000 books available on the subject of prayer. 136,000. If you just merely Google prayer, you will find that there are 136 million pages on the internet on the subject of prayer. It's a big subject. And so today's sermon is going to last for about eight weeks because there's so much material available. No, we'll, we'll be done on time. What we want to do today is just the basics. We want to just do the fundamentals, lay a foundation for the subject so we can build some more meaningful 
comprehension as we go along. I've been in pastoral ministry now for over 40 years, and I've discovered some things about prayer. Uh, one is that everybody prays. Everybody prays. People everywhere in the world pray. You pray, I pray, Buddhists pray, Muslims pray, Hindus pray, uh, pray Christians pray, Jews pray, even atheists pray. Now, if you punch an atheist in the stomach, they will bend over and go, oh, God, just like that. They won't say, oh, me. They'll say Jesus or something like that. Even atheists pray. So everybody prays. Now, we're not sure who they're praying to and what they're praying, but it's built into us in the created order. God designed us to have a desire for relationship with him. And so that's why everybody everywhere prays. That's very important. They look at Ecclesiastes 3.11. This confirms what I'm saying. God has planted eternity in the human heart. Yeah. So we're wired to pray. Here's another thing I've learned, and that is we're not very good at prayer. And we know it. We're not very good at it, and we know it. Um, we, for the most part, feel inadequate. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray. When surveys are taken, even of Christian people, even evangelical, you know, more devout, Bible-believing Christians, when they are surveyed about prayer, things like, I feel frustrated, I feel inept, I feel, I feel confused, I feel awkward, I feel unsatisfied, I should be better, I, I need help with my prayer life. Look at our text again, Luke 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? That's very interesting. We might just pause and just reflect on that for a moment because these are the guys who were hanging around Jesus all the time. They heard Jesus teach. They heard him preach. They, they heard him give the Sermon on the Mount, for example, which is an historic document of profound truth to all of humanity for all time. Uh, everyone argues it's the, most, it's the most concise and powerful teaching that humanity's ever received, the Sermon on the Mount. They heard him do that one. They saw him perform miracles, you know, multiply food and raise the dead and calm storms and walk on water and cast out devils and, and perform miracles, healing miracles. They'd seen all of that. But it's interesting to note that not once in the Gospels do we see the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to be a better preacher or how to perform miracles. Lord, teach us to perform miracles. You never hear that. But this one occasion, you hear the disciples ask him, teach us to pray. Maybe there's something going on. Maybe there's something up. Maybe there's some importance there. Maybe there's some emphasis that we should take note of. Lord, teach us to pray. Very important. Very important subject. So our frustrations with prayer, and this is the first fill in the blank. So if you're one of those fill in the blankers, uh, it's right at the top of your outline. Here's the first one. Our frustrations with prayer are actually caused then by misconceptions about prayer. Misconceptions, yeah. Uh, some of the things that I'm aware of as I've observed prayer and experienced prayer myself is that prayer is not a magic wand. It just isn't. It's not, it's not the little stick Harry Potter carries around. It's not a, a, a magic lamp, you know, with a genie in it that grants wishes. I mean, you can't walk up to your husband and go abracadabra be a good husband. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't work that way. You know, shazam, my children are now compliant and well-behaved. That's, that's not how it works. So it's not a magic wand. 
It's not about secret words. It's not about incantations. It's not about chanting. It's not about a spell that you cast. It's none of that. It's not, there's no magic involved. Another thing I've noticed is that prayer is not a fire extinguisher. In other words, I break the glass only in the case of an emergency. And we all understand this, this little point because all of us are guilty of this because for the most part, we don't pray as well on the good days in our lives as we do on the bad days. Nod your head like you know that's true. You know, when there's an emergency, when there's a crisis, when there's an issue, uh, there's more prayer. You've heard me use this phrase, we pray better when we're desperate. And anything that leads us to prayer, I guess, is okay. But, but um, many times in my office over the years, I've had people make an appointment, come in and talk to me and say, Pastor, I need prayer. I've got this crisis, this issue in my life. Three times in my life, I've had people knock on my door and actually come into my house unannounced and say, I'm in trouble, please help me, please pray. And it occurs to me uh, in those kinds of cases that if you'd have been praying all along, maybe you'd been the better husband so your wife wouldn't be leaving you now. Instead of waiting till there's a crisis, you know, wait till you get a bad diagnosis, I have cancer, I better pray. Or, or I just lost my job, I better pray. Or the hurricane's coming, I better pray. Yeah. So it's, it's not a... It's not a fire extinguisher. It's not the last resort in your life. It's a mean, it's to be your first choice, first reaction. If you've lost your job, you want to pray about that. If, you're, if your marriage is in crisis, you want to pray about that. If you want to go buy a car or say yes to a date or accept an offer of some sort, you want to pray. You want to offer prayer. Um, there, there are people who come to places in their lives and, and you'll hear people, someone say, well, all we can do now is pray. What the heck does that mean? All there, all there is left to do is pray. We've done all we can. Now all we've got left is prayer. Dude, that should have been the first thing you did. Not the last thing you do. It should be the, the first step in the journey, not the last step. Or how about this? Dude, you don't even have a prayer. Or that guy doesn't have a prayer. And what does that mean? <laughs> that means not even almighty God can bail you out of this problem. You're done. What does it say about us and our belief in prayer? So it's not a fire extinguisher. Here's another thing. Prayer is not a tug of war. This is going to help someone. See, a lot of people think that God doesn't really want to answer your prayers. Hear your prayers or answer your prayers. And so they think that they have to somehow do some special gymnastics, some special gyrations in order to get God's attention so that he'll respond to them. And so there's a lot of begging and a lot of bribing and a lot of bargaining that goes on in prayer. Hmm, it's not a good idea because God doesn't, God doesn't respond well to begging. Please, 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 pretty please. No, it's not necessary. You're not, God's not any more attentive to that than he is to, to a, a one-word prayer like help, which is my favorite prayer. Help. Sometimes I use a pitiful tone. Help. That, that's just for my benefit. God doesn't do deals. He doesn't do bargains. I had, we had a guy in our church years ago, and he was an agnostic, and he was an educator at Ball State, and we became friends, and, and we would uh, meet from time to time, and I'd try to win him to Jesus. And one day we were sitting at the restaurant, and he said, Pastor, he said, you need to stop asking me to receive Jesus, and I'm just not sure I'm going to do that. And besides, 
I don't really need to do that because God and I have an arrangement. I've made a deal with God. I looked at him and said, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. Oh, yeah, God and I have an understanding. I said, no, no, you don't. You may think you have an arrangement with God, but you don't. See, there's only one deal from God. He's already put it on the table, and it's a great, great deal. You couldn't negotiate a better deal than the deal that God has already offered. And he put that deal on the table. You either accept his deal or you reject his deal. You don't make up your own deal. So prayer is not about a tug of war, some kind of bargaining relationship. <laughs> Here's another thing. Prayer is not a ritual to relieve your guilt. Now I'm about to help some others of you in the room. Some of you grew up with this, that you were taught that if you sin, it's a really big sin or a really bad sin or a big pile of sins, then you have to say a certain number of prayers in order to extricate yourself from the guilt of that sin. But listen, prayer is not punishment for your sin. It's not penance for your sin. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is a privilege, not a duty. Prayer is a joy, not some responsibility. Prayer is an opportunity, not some... Not some some perfunctory activity that you have to engage in order to satisfy some silly notion of God's, uh, God's need to hear you repeat a prayer. Look at this verse, Matthew 6, 7. I'll put it on the screen. When you pray, do not use meaningless repetition, thinking that you'll be heard for your many words. Yeah. So there's folklore behind the great coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, the Lombardi Trophy is awarded to the Super Bowl champion every year. And part of the folklore about Vince Lombardi is that he would stand up on the first day of practice at the beginning of the season and hold up a football, and he would say, gentlemen, this is a football. And the indication there is that we're going to start from the beginnings and learn the basics and go through the fundamentals, and we're going to build a team on those. Uh, it is well documented that Johnny Wooden, uh, my favorite um, coach in American athletics in our history, uh, I don't think there's a close second to Johnny Wooden. And, and it's well documented that the first day of practice every season when he coached the UCLA Bruins basketball team, he would have the team assembled and then he would say, this is how you put on your socks. These are the sweat socks. This is how you put on your sweat socks. And when people would push back on Johnny Wooden about that, why do you, kids know how to put on their socks? He said, no, no, people don't know how to put on their socks. <laughs> Because if they're put on improperly, you know, it'll rub in the wrong way and you'll get blisters. And so you have to put on your socks properly. <laughs> well, this is a guy who has an attention to details, needless to say. But what he's doing, the, the message he's communicating is that there are basics, there are fundamentals that we're going to base our team and our success or failure are going to be based on whether or not we can master the fundamentals as well as we can. That's my intention in today's message. Just lay a foundation for prayer. Let's get the basics in place. Let's lay down a good foundation, the fundamentals, so that we can build some more effective understanding of prayer as the weeks unfold. So on your outline, you'll see there are four things, four foundation points that I want to make. They're simple, and I hope they're, they're clear enough that you can understand them. Here's the first one. God loves for me to talk to him. God loves for me to talk to him. God loves you, and he loves for you to talk to him. 
God made you to love you. The only reason that you are alive and breathing and taking up air on the earth right now and in this room is because God loves you and made you to be the affection, the focus of his love. God loves you and he wants to connect with you. He made you to love you. He made you to be in relationship with you. And so it's the primary purpose for your existence. And you, you are uniquely you. He made you with all these special interests and and the things that you enjoy, and the hobbies, and the sports, and all the categories, the arts, all of these things, God made you, and you prefer these things because of the uniqueness of the way God created you. And so he's interested in in the things you're interested in. He made you that way, so if you're interested in those things, you should talk to God about those things. He loves to talk to you. He loves to have communication with you. And so you should embrace that. Um, Whatever you're interested in, he's interested in. And it's the same way that you are as a parent. You love the things your kids enjoy and vice versa. It's just the way it's made. Look at Psalm 103, verse 13. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender, compassionate to those who reverence him. And so God loves us because we're his children. When you have a baby, this newborn is there and you, you love that baby. You love her just the way she is, and she's, she's not all together yet. I mean, her brain's not completely wired. She can't focus her eyes. She, she can't do anything but jerk and, you know, poop and spit. That's all, they, that's all they can do. Can't smile at you, can't emote, can't talk, can't do any of that. But you love her just the same. And then when she gets to be two, two and a half, three years old, and her personality begins to emerge, and she begins to develop some vocabulary, and now you can communicate with your child. It's one of the most wonderful moments in life when you can connect in more meaningful ways with your own children. God feels the same way toward us. He wants for us to talk to him. Yeah, look at... uh, Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. It says, We can be confident approaching God, knowing that he listens to us whenever we ask him for anything according to his will. And since we know that he hears us when we make our request, then he can, we can be sure that he will answer us. So two times in those verses, we are reminded that God hears us. He's listening. God actually is paying attention to us. And that's so important. So you can talk to God about anything at any time. You say, well, I don't even know how to pray. How how do you learn how to pray? And the answer is the same way you learn how to talk, same way you learn language. You hear somebody else use a word or two, and then you start using those words. And then you put a couple of words together, and then a phrase, then a sentence, and suddenly you're talking. And that's how you learn to pray. And it's okay not to know how to pray. Sometimes the most effective prayers are simple and, and concise. My favorite prayer in the world is help. I mentioned that. Just help. And God hears and answers that prayer. But you can pray to God about anything. Big things, you know, world peace or spiritual things, big big ticket things, or just that you have an upset stomach or you're frustrated at work or you, you need more grace and patience in some relationships. Talk about anything. You know, God, these mosquitoes are driving me nuts. Could you do something about that? It's okay. Talk, talk to God about any of these things. So no shame, no fear, no hesitation, no embarrassment. Right in the middle of the, of the outline in the page, you'll see in capital letters, prayer is, and there's a little space there. 
right, there's two phrases. I, I, maybe you'd like to write this down. Prayer is conversation, not a ceremony. Conversation, not a ceremony. And prayer is relationship and not a ritual. Relationship, not a ritual. So it's all about getting to know God and talking to God. So that's foundation one, number one, that God longs for us to connect. Now, here's the second thing. God listens to prayers that are sincere and simple. He listens. Now, you're, you don't have to use flowery language or fancy phrases or sound spiritual or use religious cliches. Oh, thou great potentate of the universe, we beseech thee that you might indulge thyself to minister to us, your lowly children, and we thank thee for these abundant blessings. I don't know why people do that. I get the impression that God may be listening to that and go, that's pretty funny. That's pretty good. That's a good one. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I, I'm impressed. Yeah. I don't, simple and sincere. You know, you sit around a table, you're about to eat at a restaurant. Someone says, would you say, okay, I'll pray. And then you hear something like this. You hear, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to thy service. Bless those who are about to receive and the hands that prepared it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. That's a fine prayer. It's a good prayer. But it's a commonly used prayer. Someone said it one time and it caught on. And some version of that prayer is said by, by Christian people. Huh? But, and so I'm not, I'm not criticizing the prayer. But how about this prayer? Uh, Lord, I'm really hungry. And these tacos smell really, really good. So you understand why I'm making this short. Amen. Is that simple? Is that sincere? I would think so. Beth and I sometimes sit down at dinner, and I'm always hungry, so I'm hungry at dinner time, and, and I will just turn to her and, and, you know, because we always pause to give thanks. I said, are you grateful? And she said, I am, and I just give her a fist pump. And that's it. That's all of it. It's time to eat. Yeah. It doesn't have to be more than that. Yeah. It has to be real. has to be gutsy. has to be honest. How about this prayer? God, I don't feel like talking to you right now. Is that okay? It better be. I use that prayer all the time. How about this one? God, I'm angry with you. Is that honest? Is that real? Mm-hmm. That's got to be okay. I've used that a lot of times in my life. How about this? God, I don't get it. I don't understand this. Is that real? Is that honest? Is it sincere? Yes. Those three prayers I just mentioned are some of my top prayers. I use these prayers all the time. I use them throughout my life. And listen to me, God can handle your emotion. God can handle your anger. God can handle your confusion. God can handle the disruption. God can handle that. Because he loves you. And he listens to your prayers. Something you may not realize, there are 150 psalms. Right in the middle of your Bible, there are 150 psalms. Most of, most of which are from King David, but other authors are ascribed as well. But of the 150 psalms, a third of them, 
50 of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. In other words, they're just complaints. They're complaints. God, why'd you let this happen to me? God, why have you let my enemies overcome me? Why, why did you let this happen when I didn't deserve it? The Psalms of lament. They're complaints with God. My wife Beth will tell you that there have been seasons in her life when the only thing that she could read in the Bible were the Psalms of lament. Couldn't get her, she, the rest of it wasn't a good time for that. But the laments she connected with. And as a result, God connected with her. Because it's sincere and it's simple and it's real and it's honest. Look at Hebrews 10.22. Let us come near to God with a sincere heart and a sure faith. Isn't that good? Isn't that helpful? There it is. So we're not afraid. We're not embarrassed. We're not hesitant. We're just sincere. And God listens to us when we come to him that way. Here's number three. Write this down. God likes to show his grace by answering prayer. He likes to show his grace by answering prayer. Now, the reason God most enjoys answering prayer is because it gives him the opportunity to express who he is, his nature, his character, because God is good, he's loving, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's generous. This is who God is. And so by answering our prayers, this is an expression of God's goodness toward us, and he likes to show his grace that way. You know, 20 times in the New Testament, we are commanded to ask God for his help. Seeking you shall find, knock the door shall be open, asking it shall be given, you have not because you ask not. On and on this list goes 20 times. If you ask anything in my name, I'll grant it to you. 20 times commanded to, to ask. So here's, here's what. It could be that we miss out on a bunch of things simply because we do not ask. Someone theorized that there's a big warehouse in heaven that has your name on it, and when you get there, you get, you get escorted by some important angel. You go to the warehouse, has your name, you walk in, and there are blessings floor to ceiling in this big warehouse. And then you're compelled to ask the question, what's this all about? And the angel responds, these are all the blessings that God had designed for you while you were on the earth, but you just didn't ask. We've been talking about the subject and our staff for several weeks, as you can imagine, and I've been musing about it a bit. And I confessed to the staff recently my two greatest sins with regard to prayer, and I'll confess them to you. The first sin that I have with regard to prayer is my prayerlessness. I don't think I pray as much or as often as I should, as I need, because prayer is to my benefit. And I don't pray as much, and I can give you my excuses for that, you have your excuses, your rationalizations. I have mine. I could, I, could give, I could give you a long list of my excuses. But my sin is I don't pray as much as I need, as much as I should. My other sin in prayer is my faithlessness. And by that I mean when I find myself praying, I'm praying prayers that are just small, small-minded, small-thinking, Small in imagination, small in expectation. I pray two small prayers. And the reason I say that is because I know that the God we serve is a big God. He's big. 
He's an awesome God. He's bigger than our comprehension. Listen, a thousand years from now, after we've been in heaven for centuries, we will still not have a comprehension of who God is. A million years from now, we will still be learning about things about God that help us better understand who he is, but we still won't have a clue about how great and how grand and how mighty and how wonderful and how powerful God is. And so we find ourselves now with the opportunity to talk to Almighty God and ask him for his help. And we pray little bitty prayers as if God is some, uh, some human being with just a little bit more power. He's like a tiny little God. He's a little country club God. He's, he's a little bitty God that sits in a big chair. And, and we don't dare ask him for anything excessive because, you know, we're just not sure that's ever going to work out. When all the while God stands ready to bless his people and to answer our prayers. Why not pray big prayers to a big God and expect big results? Why not? Because we serve a big God. <laughs> I think I'm challenging myself right there. I don't know if it's helping you, but it's helping me. Now, let me ask you this side of the question. How many of you would imagine a parent is being a good parent if they gave their children absolutely everything they ever asked for? That's not good parenting. That's abuse. That's dysfunction. Because we all know if you give a child everything a child wants every time they want it, that the child's going to be spoiled and is going to get warped and is going to be prepared for the real world. We're raising a generation of young people now who actually think that they should have anything they want just because they want it. And, and the reason that there's uh, so much uh, failure to actually get on with life, you know, there's this, there are these delays now with choosing a career and getting married and having children. And 38% of everyone between the ages of 19 and 34 are still living with their parents in our culture, 38%. So there's this failure to launch. What's that about? What's going on? Well, it's a failure. When you've been taught your whole life that you can have anything you want just because you want it and you get in the real world, here's what the real world says to you. We don't care what you want. It's a, it's a stark reality. The world doesn't care what you want. <laughs> That's another sermon. Anyway... We'll pick that up some other time. This is my fourth time around. I guess I'm getting bored with the, my material, so I have to talk about something that I'm interested in. So, but here's, what, here's the way it works in prayer. Here's the way it works. God will actually say no to us from time to time. Now, that's actually good for us because God is protecting us. It's about protection. Virtually all of us could give an illustration where we prayed something in our past and we realize now if God had answered yes to that prayer, we would have been blown up by it, would have destroyed us. And so God could see out in front of us when we couldn't see, so he was protecting us. Sometimes a no is about direction or correction or perfection or inspection. See, God is more interested in developing our character than he is in making us comfortable. God is more interested in us becoming holy, more like Jesus, than he is interested in us being happy all the time. Sorry to break that to you. So sometimes God answers no. So, well, God, I prayed God didn't answer my prayer. Oh, yes, he did. The answer was no, and you didn't like it. There are only four answers to prayer. One is no, 
One is yes. One is not now, not yet. And the fourth is, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> what is that, a joke? God hears some of our prayers and goes, <laughs> that's funny. I'm going to give you that. Are you nuts? Because God knows better than we do. Yeah. A child, a baby, doesn't know the difference between no and not yet. A mature person realizes that God's delays are not God's denials. Mm -hmm. But you have to be a grown-up for that, to differentiate the two. But God likes to show his grace by answering our prayer. Look at Matthew 7, 11. Jesus said, if you being imperfect, sinful parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Mm -hmm. James 4, 2, look at that one. You do not have because you do not ask. So it is possible that when you don't pray, there are a lot of things you miss out on. Yeah. Yeah. Hate to think about that. So let's summarize. We're building this foundation. God loves for me to talk to him. God listens to our prayers that are sincere and simple, and he likes to show his goodness by answering prayers. Now, here's the last thing that we want to say. God longs to be close to me. God longs to be close to us. Yeah. If you're away from somebody for a long, long time, what begins to happen? Someone you love and you're away from them for a long time, you begin to feel a need to be connected with them. You start to miss them and you, and you want to be reconnected to have that communication, that intimacy with them. Yeah, that's normal. That's a good thing. Look at Isaiah 30, verse 18. The Lord waits for you to come to him so he can show you his love and his compassion. Yeah, so he can show you his love and compassion. He longs for that. Yeah. There are people that you know, people in our church, who have children who for physical reasons, uh, they're handicapped or disabled or they've had a brain injury or a brain issue and they cannot communicate. They can't speak. Um, and in some cases, they can't even emote. They're almost unresponsive. And this is a great, as you can imagine, this is a great pain for such parents, a real heartache for them. Here's your child, and you can't, you can't communicate with them. Then there are other examples that perhaps you experience personally or know of where the children can communicate, could communicate perfectly well, but they choose not to. They won't. They don't. And they've separated themselves from their parents or their grandparents. And there is no contact. They choose not to have a relationship with their parents or grandparents. And this is a very sad circumstance, creating much pain and heartache for people who long to have a relationship, a meaningful relationship with their own children, but their children choose not to. Now, I mentioned those two examples, and you feel that, don't you? I mean, it's very poignant. I mentioned those two examples because that's exactly the way God feels when we withhold and withdraw from him. Because he... He longs 
to be close to us. Yeah. Now I want you to feel that. Let me give you one more verse. John 15, 15. Look at this verse. Don't, don't be casual with this. Get focused for just a minute. Give, give, me, give me 90 seconds of energy and focus and attention. Because if you really absorb this verse, if you really assimilate this, it'll, it'll make your mind, it'll, it'll, it'll blow your mind. I mean, your head will pop off. God says to us, I don't call you servants. I call you my friends. I don't call you servants. I call you my friends. This is the, this is the pre-existent, co-eternal word of God. This is the, the, this is the deity who spoke and light entered the universe. This is almighty God, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. This is almighty God saying to us, I don't call you servants. I call you my friends. Does that give you a clue then on the nature of the relationship that God desires with us, that he longs to be close to us? You were actually formed for friendship with God. So if you miss that, you miss the purpose of your life. If you think life is about, you know, getting ahead and getting a job and getting a career and making money and building toward retirement, and once you get to retirement, you retire and you hope to have a few days before you die, um, maybe a week or two. It's very disappointing, folks. You know, he just retired last Tuesday and then he dropped dead. How many times have you heard that? Eesh. Well, if, listen, if that was your goal in life, I'm going to earn a living, then retire, really relax and have some fun, free time, and then die, then you've missed the whole point of being alive. Your primary purpose in life, my primary purpose in life, is to get to know God and to learn his best plan for our lives so that we can live in the expression of God's desire out of the relationship that we have cultivated with God through prayer, being the friend of God. That's amazing. It's a great opportunity. So how do you get closer to God? Let's just summarize. Well, first of all, you have to desire it, and then you have to make time for it, just like any relationship. You got to want to, and then you got to make time for it. And this is true with prayer. You gotta, wanna, you gotta wanna have that kind of connection with God through prayer, and you gotta make time for it. Because the Bible says when you draw near to God, what? He draws near to you. Did you hear it? All right, let's pause and pray about it. Let's make it simple. Father, I pray a simple prayer, a sincere prayer. I want the people that are here to know you better. I pray that they would fall in love with you in similar ways that you love them. I want them to know you in similar ways that you know them. And so I ask you to use these words, your words, to touch their hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. And the people said, 